Well, that was a mascara running worship time. <laughs> we need to get more tissue boxes in the service. I don't know how that happened. There was a time when we had one every two aisle, and it used to scare our guests. <laughs> they saw the tissues go, okay, what's the deal? They all cry all the time or they have allergies. So probably both. <laughs> so I don't know. Whoever does that, we need to do that because this one little tissue box up here is not enough. And God's coming in our presence and we're experiencing his love and being impacted by him. So anyway, thank you, worship team. Can we just thank them? Thank God for you guys. A lot of the worship team now got off the stage and they're working with children's ministry. So they are incredible. Alrighty. Well, we're going to start with uh, a scripture reading. We're all going to read a scripture passage together. Yeah, kind of different. And so I think we'll get it up there. We'll just wait. Yes, Colossians 1. There we go. You ready? All right. We always pray for you, and we give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. For we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and your love for all of God's people, which come from your confident hope of what God has reserved for you in heaven. You have had this expectation ever since you first heard the truth of the good news. This same good news that came to you is going out all over the world. It is bearing fruit everywhere by changing lives, just as it changed your lives from the day you first heard and understood the truth about God's wonderful grace. You learned about the good news from Epaphras, our beloved co-worker. He is Christ's faithful servant, and he is helping us on your behalf. He has told us about the love for others that the Holy Spirit has given you. That's from Colossians chapter 1, verses 3 to 8. Okay, last week we started um, our new series on Colossians. And we talked about Colossians being a worldview book. A worldview is a framework by which you can figure out your philosophies, how you're going to argue things, how you think of things, important decisions, questions that you have in life is all based off of your worldview. A definition for the worldview is the worldview perspective from which one sees and interprets the world. Now Paul gives to the Colossians a framework a pair of eyeglasses I wish to look through. Now, we talked last Sunday about how the Christian worldview really makes a difference and impacts us and actually gives us a dual identity. Remember we talked about identity theft? And as a Christians, we have two identities, one here on earth, one here, one to come on in heaven. Let's look at Colossians chapter 1, verse 2. This is just a short review before we move on. To God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ, Grace and peace to you from our God, our Father. So these folks had two identities, an identity in Colossae and then an identity in Christ. We're God's holy people, we're saints. Remember we talked about saints being set apart for God's purposes. So that's that part. But we're also in Christ. Okay, so for us, we could be living in San Antonio, in Helotus. You know, we could be in Cibolo, it doesn't really matter. That's that place. But then there's this other place, other dynamic, which is in Christ, which is our spiritual position. And it doesn't really matter what circumstance we're currently living in. It doesn't really matter if we have um, trouble in our marriage or we're on top of 
the world because everything's going great at work or at home. It doesn't really matter. That's not the issue. We're in Christ. Now, Paul uses the word or the phrase in Christ or in Christ Jesus 170 times. It's a lot of times to use that phrase in the writing that he did. And since we're in Christ, it means we constantly are influenced by Christ. He takes everything involved in our lives. All right, so we're God's saints and we're in Christ. Now, having a Christian worldview makes a difference. It's going to change how we experience life, how we view life, and how we live it. Now, just because we have a Christian worldview does not mean that we only think about the future and therefore are useless to the world. That's not what it means. On the contrary, Jesus talks about us being salt and being light, which are very practical elements that we need in everyday life. So he tells us that's the kind of people you're to be right now. Now, in Abraham's time, Jesus put it, or God put it this way. You and your descendants will be a blessing to all nations. Okay, so we live in this world. We are set apart. We are saints, set apart for God's processes. But we also get involved. Today, in the worship time, did you get what was going on at the end? That repentance that was coming forth from the worship. A repentance of God. We are your hands or feet. We're here in this world. We're supposed to make a difference. Did you get that? That was the move of what God is saying. And that's what he's saying to us now when we're in Christ, in a world, in San Antonio. We're to make a difference. We're to change the world, mold the world. We're supposed to shape it. And as John Wilson put it, we're supposed to beautify it. I really like that, that he said that. Our lives beautify the world. Well, this morning, we're going to continue our study in Colossians. And we're going to see how this dual citizenship makes a difference. What does a Christian worldview look like? And therefore, what should my life look like if I'm in that realm of viewing God's world through his, through his lenses? Okay, let's pray. Father, we just thank you for your spirit. It's just very evident here, Lord, your manifest presence touching, Father, our hearts and our spirits. Father, we pray for that to go into the classrooms right now with our kids and our older kids, Lord, we pray that you would come and move them and stir them and comfort those, Father, who are sorrowing. Encourage those, Father, who need some encouragement, Father, and correct those, Father, who need some prompting. Change their mind. Lord, we want this for us. We want you to come, Father, and change our mind and to make our mind solid in the things that are important to you. Father, we pray that we could be um, truly your set-apart people. And truly live a life of purpose. Come, Father. Father, I pray for our guests that you would make them feel uh, the welcome of your people and also, Father, your presence. And, Father, whatever is going on in their lives, Father, that you would directly speak to them. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so what distinguishes us if we have a Christian worldview? Let's look at verse 3 in chapter 1 of Colossians. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. So I see here that a Christian mind is characterized by humble gratitude. You know, Paul encourages a lot of times to give thanks and to be thankful. In all of his letters, only one time does he thank a person directly. All the other times, he thanks God for that person. Let's look at a few of them. Romans 1.8 
First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is being reported all over the world. And then 1 Corinthians 1.4, I always thank my God for you because of his grace given you in Jesus Christ. And then 1 Thessalonians 1.2, we always thank God for you, for all of you, and continually mention you in our prayers. Now, as I thought about this, I thought how wonderful it would be if the Vineyard Church regularly would thank God for one another. You know, I thank God for the worship that you brought to us this morning. I thank God for the influence you have in my children in Sunday school. You know, I thank God for how you're impacting me and the community group members are impacting me by helping me through this very difficult time. It's easy to forget that what is happening to us that is good and beautiful comes directly from God, even though he's using hands and feet. And it's easy to sometimes ignore thanking him for the good that he's brought to us. And when we thank God for what people have done for us, it helps that person to remember, oh yeah, that's right. It was God that empowered me to do this for you. And it removes this need of always having to be patted in the back, but realize that we're instruments of God. Okay, earring and microwave don't work together. So I'm going to be one earring today. Okay, another distinctive mark of the Christian mind is that we're not only people of thanks, but we're people of faith, hope, and love. Colossians verses 4 and 5. Because you have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love for all his people, the faith and love that springs from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard in the true word of the gospel. Now, often in the New Testament, these three words are linked together, faith, hope, and love. Can anybody think of a verse in the Bible where you heard those together faith hope and love any volunteers what fruits of the spirit yeah Jamie you had one Dave good first Corinthians chapter 13 yeah good I mean it's together first Corinthians chapter 13 13 and now we have these three things remain faith hope and love first Thessalonians 1 3 we remember you work produced by faith your love promoted by, I'm sorry, your labor promoted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope <clears throat> in our Lord Jesus Christ. Faith, hope, and love is part of our world view as Christians. And so we ought to see the world through those lenses, through faith, through hope, through love. Now, in the 21st century America, I would say that we can describe it as being kind of cynical. Okay? Whereas the Christian mind is characterized by faith in Christ. Colossians 1.4 Because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all his people. Now, right now in America, like I said, I think there's some deep cynicism. I was born in 1957. And in that time period of my life, I can think of many times where we were told why we went into war. And it was different as to what really was the agenda, right? I can remember uh, Watergate. And I'm actually learning a lot about that this week. Because my daughter, she's hitting that part of history. And also adultery in the White House. We have leaders that regularly disappoint us. We have a lot of spiritual leaders that have disappointed us. We have leaders who have laid off tens of thousands of people and have no qualm about grabbing 
even greater shares of the company's wealth. Even our belief in marriage is a bit challenged. So this week I went looking on the internet um, about prenuptial contracts. Not that I'm planning on getting divorced or getting remarried, but I'm just thinking, you know, I've even gotten a little cynical about marriage. And, you know, can you imagine going on a romantic experience with somebody and saying, hey, can we talk about our prenup contract? I mean, what a way to kill romance, right? So, anyway, I went looking, and um, Nancy Denham, a New York City financial advisor and author, writes this. A prenup is a smart financial planning. Think of it as a business arrangement or as an insurance policy to help remove some of the emotion that is naturally involved. And she's referring, of course, to divorce. You know, I've gotten cynical myself because I have kidded between my family, you know, maybe I ought to buy them a year's worth of paper plates instead of fine china because they have a 50-50 chance of not making it and that way they have nothing to fight about. Pretty cynical. I know. <laughs> it's bad. It's my warp side. So anyway, against that, <laughs> we have a God who we have faith in, who never lies, who never cheats, who does not give up on us. In the Christian worldview, we have a God who presents himself as relationally integrous, whose actions match his words. So when he talks about love and sacrifice, he doesn't just talk about it. He's obviously demonstrated it through Christ. Christians know that there is at least one person in this world who is not marketing us nor spinning some kind of truth in order to take advantage of us and toss us aside for a prettier wife, a skinnier wife, a bigger and better job, or something more interesting that comes along. We can trust in God who is faithful and who keeps his promises and who has integrity all the way through. Now, the 21st world, worldview century here, America is pretty selfish, whereas the Christian worldview is one of self-sacrifice. Colossians lead, read verses 4 to 5. Because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all his people, the faith and love springs from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard in the true word of the gospel. Now, the 21st century America, self pretty much crowds everything else. I started jotting down some self-words, self-absorbed, self-indulgent, self-interested, self-obsessed, self-promoting, self-seeking, self-serving, self-sufficient. I mean, the list just goes on and on. And finally, I had someone a long time ago tell me the definition of sin. He had one word. That's it, self. Sin is the pursuit of self. Selfishness, you see it in business. When they grab for everything they can get, you can see it clearly in advertisements. You do see it in marriages when people fight. I want my time. You know? And the other one's like, well, I want my time and I want my needs met. Now, in a book called God Smugglers by Brother Andrew, this guy used to smuggle Bibles to different parts of the world where it was against the law. Okay? Very interesting book to read. Anyway, he describes in part of his book the communist repression of the church in Cuba under the regime of Castro. And here's a quote from that book. Priests and ministers are classed as non-productive members of society. They are given no food or clothing coupons and are frequently forced into labor battalions made up of men deemed unsuitable for service. People used to live 
by coupons. They gave them coupons so much that they could spend per family member to eat and live. Well, these people were denied that. Drug addicts, homosexuals, convicts, and clerics are all lumped together and sent to the fields to cut sugar cane. So Andrew observed that most pastors, however, stayed at their post, accepting privation of the most basic needs in order to preach the gospel to the people they loved. They weren't even trying to get away. They stayed because they had a heart for their nation. Now, another portion of the book, Brother Andrew talks about people behind the Iron Curtain. And in 1960, there was a family that was particularly struggling. They had a chicken farm, and they were trying to retain it. And they could have had opportunities to escape, but they chose not to. And Brother Andrew basically said, why? Why do you stay? This is hopeless. And this was the, the farmer's response. We stay because he let his eyes travel across the valley because if we go, who will be left to pray? Now, these are heroes of our faith, men, women, children, who we don't even know their names. They have laid down their life for the other. And this is the kind of self-sacrifice that Christ exemplifies and that a worldview Christian exemplifies. Love to me equals self-sacrifice. And truly, as a Christian begins to understand more and more about what this journey is about, we understand that it is about me laying down my life for someone else that brings us purpose. Let's quote Jesus. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. So, if you have kids, that means turn off the TV and play shoots and ladders one more time. If you have youth as kids, it means getting out your rump, going on a youth event, and hanging out with their friends, even though you'd rather stay at home and take a nap. Right? If you're married, it means, honey, how can I help you? What's on your honey-do list? How can I be there for you? Can I give you some more of my time? As a church, we say we're about loving God and loving others. And we say that we are clearly a relational church that exists not for ourselves, but for Christ and for others. Whenever we practice self-sacrifice love, it is really a hard thing to keep secret. And we can see this from the scripture in Colossians 3 and 4. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all his people. Paul is all the way in Rome, hundreds and hundreds of miles from Colossians, Colossae. Okay? And he's hearing reports about them. No, he does not have a Facebook posting. He does not have internet. He doesn't say, Paul the Apostle, who feels determined today. Right? No frequent flyers, miles. For them to go from one place to another would take months if not years. 900 miles is a long way, period. We were talking the other day at community group, okay, so what's the longest road trip you've ever taken? And to me, the longest one was to Colorado last Christmas. I don't know why, it just seems so long. I'm like, this is taking so long. And I think I've probably done longer trips, but I think that one just knocked me out, okay? 900 miles back then, with the road conditions, I don't know. It's a scary thing. Anyway, the point is, 
the point is that Paul hears about what's going on in the Colossian church 900 miles away. It's reached him in prison in Rome. And Paul begins to brag on the church, telling them, you guys are doing a great job. I hear about your love and your faith. And you've come to be known as a loving, faithful church. That's a pretty high compliment. I would love for Burt Wagner from the Sugarland Vineyard, or what's the other one? Mike Palandro from Houston Vineyard, to say, Clara, we've heard through the grapevine that your church is really very loving and a very faithful church. I would love to go to my H-E-B and someone to stop me and say, what's your name? Are you one of the... I've heard of your church. I've, I've heard of how you guys have cared for one another. Open your house to the needy. Visit people in the hospitals. Fed them. Traded their cars in to get a cheaper car to help somebody else. I mean, I've heard of these things. Now, you guys, I've heard of these things. I know what you all are doing. I've heard of these things. This is the kind of church we have. The problem is we're kind of close-lipped. And we haven't let others know that this is a good place to be loved and cared for. Last week we heard the testimony of um, Dorothy. If Adrian had had enough sleep, I could have him stand up here and he could bawl you through what y'all been doing for his family. Right? His wife has told me, you guys are more family than family. Okay? I've heard the reports of how loving and faithful you are. I love my church. I'm proud of my church because I see God in you. I thank God for you. Colossians 4 and 5. Because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all his people, the faith and love that springs from the hope stored up for you in heaven, about which you have already heard in the true word of the gospel. Now, in contrast to the 21st century America, I need a tissue because I'm just getting emotional. You know, the world is pretty hopeless. But as Christians, with a worldview, a Christian worldview, we are people of hope. Now, the only problem is, is what are we putting our hope in? Okay, if we're putting our hope on things that are constantly changing, unpredictable, placing our things that don't really matter, we are going to be disappointed. Now, I'm going to describe some things in just a minute, things that we put our hope for. And if we put our hopes in those things, we are practically atheists. We're not practicing Christians, we're practicing atheists. And I just want to list some of them. I want the Holy Spirit to bring a check on you. Because when those things aren't there, do you fall apart? Okay, it's natural for us to fall apart, right? But they shouldn't be, I mean, we can be in that shaken place, that's okay. We're going to talk later about an anchor, right? But then we go back to that place because we're reminded by the body of Christ. We're in Christ. You're not in San Antonio. You're not in a hospital bed. You're in Christ. When we place our hope in our government, that is a big theme right now. And I think a lot of people are getting disappointed. We place our hope in people. This morning, I had to repent during my time because I realized that Ray and I have a date once a week, okay? I'm getting a little personal here. And in our date, you know, we're talking, everything's nice, we're having a good time. 
And so Randy asked me the great question. So what about you, honey? What's going on in your life? Well, I was quiet for a long time. Because first we had talked already a lot. But I realized this is getting deep, right? And I'm not really sure he can handle what I'm about to say. So it was quiet for a long time. He knows it was quiet, so he asked it another way. So he asked me another way. So I'm just kind of slowing down here. I'm not really sure. And as I began to open up what was troubling me, it was too much for him. He got overwhelmed. This is making me anxious, is what he said. And what I needed to repent about this morning was I was putting my hope in my husband to fix whatever it was I worried about. And he could feel it. He felt that I have to be Mr. Fix-It right now. And I said, no, you don't need to fix anything. I just want to share. Not true. <laughs> That's what I was repenting about today. Because, you know, you say things and you don't know it till you get into God's presence. And you get in his presence and he starts going, peek-a-boo, look what's here. Like, oh, wow. Because I'm studying this stuff. Along with you guys, I'm studying this. I'm being convicted. And I'm realizing I have some problems. I've been putting some hope and pressure. Let's remove the hope and put pressure on my husband to fix certain things that God is responsible for. Okay, now I don't know what yours are. Okay, but ask the Holy Spirit to begin to show you where you're putting your hope on medication, performance, looks, having a marriage partner, having a significant relationship. A bottle of alcohol. How about this one? A prayer being answered the way you want. If God intervenes this way, then everything's going to be honky-dory. Placing our hopes on things like these will lead us to disappointment. And it is not a Christian worldview. That is practicing atheism. That's how an atheist thinks. Not us. Our hope is not in this world or what we can get now. Okay? Our hope is not in our marriage working. Because when it doesn't, when it doesn't, you're going to want to get out of here. I need a better partner. Our hope has to be on eternal rewards. Otherwise, we will never, ever sacrifice for our kids or aging parents. Farm out the kids for someone else to be a spiritual leader. They can learn that in Sunday school. Their youth pastor should teach them that. Right? Take in my aging, cranky old dad. Not in your life. He'll make my life miserable. If you do not hope in eternal future, you're going to sacrifice morals and integrity. We'll do it at work. We'll do it at home. We'll definitely do it in our leisure time. Because this is not all we get. But when we put our faith and hope in Christ, now that is something eternal. That's something that cannot be taken from us. It cannot be robbed. It can't be rusted. It can't be burned. When my hope is in Christ, I can sacrifice my self-obsessions. My self-whatever. And I can right now live for Christ in my marriage, in my friendships, at work, and in my ministry. 
I can give up my rights for comfort and convenience. I can actually decide to spend less money so I can give more of it away. Now, recently I was talking to a young lady who's a, who told me she gave 30% of her money away to her church and to missions. She is not a rich person. She's a college student. And she told me this quote, Well, I figure I've been left behind to be a blessing to the nations so I can do without some things in order to do that. I don't know about you, but college students are not usually really fat with money. Okay, Their parents are very wealthy and just dump in a credit card with no spending limit, right? Most of them are struggling. I was very impressed and moved by this young lady. We could decide to leave the comforts of America and go overseas and bring support to a struggling church in Hungary. We can bring the gospel and hope to people in Costa Rica or India. Now here's my question for you today. Where did this great faith and love come from? How does a college student get the idea of self-sacrificing her own needs in order to care for people that she may not ever meet? You know, the Colossian church is a lot like us. Those folks never saw Jesus. They didn't see him die and be resurrected from the dead. They were another generation. They heard about Jesus through others. They didn't ever sit at his feet and hear him talk and see him extend his hand and see someone healed. They didn't see him raise somebody from the dead. And Jesus spoke about people like this. He told them there's going to come a time when people are going to believe without seeing. That's what faith is. John said, Jesus says this in John chapter 20, 29. Because you have seen me, you have believed. Well, <clears throat> blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus was talking about the church in Colossae, and he's talking about us. Centuries and centuries later, we have not seen him, but have believed. Now, I've actually had a vision of Jesus, only parts of him. His hand, you hear and his feet. Some of you have had other visions of greater encounters with God. That's awesome. I have seen people raised from the dead three times. I have seen people healed. I've seen legs grow. I've seen blind people's vision return. That's awesome. And maybe some of you in the room said, well, I haven't seen any of those things. And Jesus is saying, well, blessed are those who believe without seeing. So you're blessed. I'm blessed too, but you're blessed. Now I want to ask you, what is it that enables people to have faith in something that they have not seen with their own eyes? What is it that enables us to trust a God that can save, even though we never saw him crucified? What emboldens people to willingly century after century, go to their death in order to not deny a man they never saw. And there's one word. It's a very powerful English word. The word hope. The church in Colossae, the church everywhere, has this beautiful gift called hope. And in verse 5 it says, The faith and love that springs from the hope that is stirred up for you in heaven and that you have already heard about in the word of truth, the gospel that has come to you. 
Christian hope is a hope in which our love and faith is based on. It is a hope that's based not on our good wishes or naive little thoughts. It's based on the true word of God, and it cannot be moved or shaken. The problem is that earthly hope is based on things that fleet away. They're inadequate to truly bless this long rage. It's kind of like cotton candy. Big and fluffy, good tasting, but it's not going to fill you up. It'll make your face sticky and your hair sticky and the car sticky when the kid goes into the sticky place. But it tastes good, but it does not fill you up. But the things that a Christian hopes for are certain and true, and they provide blessing that's going to last forever. Their faith and love springs from the hope that is stored up for them. Their faith is based on the hope that the word of Jesus is true and is based on the hope that one day they will see God, the God of love. Recently, there was a tragedy. The Macy coal mine exploded on April 5, 2010. Not that long ago. Any of you hear of that report? The rescue team went hopefully looking for the last four people. 25 had been killed through the explosion, and families stayed resilient. They had a hope, even against odds, that maybe the four last were still alive. On Thursday, five, six, seven, three days later, they sent another team in, and they had to make them come back out because the odors and the um, gases were so um, explosive that if they tried to get in, they were afraid that it would explode all over again. And so they had to back out. They continued to refer to their workers as a a, uh, rescue mission. There was still hope that their four survivors were alive. But inevitably, time passes, and the press conference has been called and they announce that the focus has shifted from a rescue mission to a recovery mission. And what that means, there is no more hope that these survivors are alive. And you see the images change as the determined searchers are dejected and they realize there's no more hope. They're afraid of what they might find in the rubble. A life spent without hope is a life spent staring at the clock and waiting for the end to come. Without hope, what is the point? We don't have to be afraid of our future. We're not looking and letting it click away because we can hope for something that is very real, very now. Those without hope are waiting for nothing, and they know it. We do have a hope in heaven, and we can live by because of that hope. Now, Christian hope is based on something that will always come true. In fact, the symbol of hope is an anchor. Now, if you have an anchor and it works some of the time, get rid of it. Because the whole anchor is to hold you through the currents, through the storms. You'll still be there. I mean, you'll get pushed around and it'll be a bumpy ride, but you'll still be there. 
We have this hope as an anchor, firm and secure. So what is it that Christians hope for? First, we understand that what a Christian hope for is being reunited with God, with Christ, when we pass from this life to the next. We do have that hope of seeing him face to face, like Titus talks about in 2.13 and 14. While we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, our greatest hope is in Jesus reappearing, his second coming. And consider just for a moment what is going to happen when he comes back. Think of the most exciting moment of your life, the most ecstatic moment of your life right now. That does not even compare to what we are going to experience when we see him face to face. Think of a hundred exciting moments that you've had in this life and put them in a jar. It cannot even come close to the joy and the ecstasy we will experience when we see Jesus. I want to just mention a few things that are going to happen when we see him. We will no longer need faith. We won't have to talk anymore. It'll be real. It'll be sight. And once and for all, we'll see Jesus as very real and 100% true this world and all its sins and all its sadnesses will be done away and only God's will will be experienced we will see our deceased ones again and they'll come forth from the grave to meet our savior death and disease will be destroyed once and for all we won't have a sick Diana she'll be whole the devil and all his followers will be defeated no longer given power to cause us grief and pain. We will receive our judgment, for which as a Christian we will hear, good and well done, my faithful servant. And we will know as a fact that we have been forgiven from our sins and that our name is in the book of life. Yeah, that is worth clapping for. Now, I've been accused, and Christians have been accused of holding, what's the phrase, a pie in the sky and the great bye-bye. And you know what? They're right. That is part of our hope in what is yet to come. Jesus did not return to raise, if Jesus does not return to raise us from the dead, then Paul says our hope is in vain. 1 Corinthians 15, 17-19. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. Easter Sunday is a crock. You are still in your sins. Then those who have been fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all men. Now while our hope is in Christ's return, we shouldn't think that that is our only hope. It's not just a hereafter. It's that same thing I was talking about before. In Colossae and in Christ, there's something in the now And there's something in the not yet. We have a hope right now. Therefore, we have a hope that when we pray, that we have a God who's listening to us. And because we hope in a loving God, we believe that his answers, the way he works out life, is for our best. Romans 8.28 And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purposes. 
We who have hope that because the Holy Spirit lives in us, we will continue to grow in holiness. That's an old-fashioned word, but it is my desire. I want to become more like Christ, don't you? That's why you come to church. You don't come to church to see a hundred other people that are like you. There aren't a hundred other people like you here. There aren't even a hundred people here, right? You come here because you love him and you want to be transformed by him. We have hope because Jesus has broken the power of the evil one. Now, in some of our beloved denominations, they don't have a grid for the evil one. They don't like to talk about him. But he is unleashed still. And he's working against us. He's working against our bodies, our spirit, our mind. But we have a hope that because Jesus has come, he has broken the power of the evil one. And the kingdom of God is available to us. That means we're going to have break-ins where the heavenly realm comes and breaks into this demonic realm and we see the works and will of God. The here, now, and not yet we talk about it, refer to it. We have hope that we will find a community of people who think like us and who will help us along the way, and that is called the church. We have a hope that serving God will give us purpose and direction since we know that God will guide us in our life. And we have placed our hope on the solid anchor that will never fail us. And finally, I want us to understand what our Christian hope, our Christian worldview means. Christian hope is not just wishful thinking. It's not squinting your eyes and hoping Tinkerbell will come back to life. Hmm. It's not a way to manipulate God into making what we want happen in this life. Instead, Christian hope is knowing that God is still in control, even when the world seems to be falling apart. There's none of us that does not need to hear that. God, you're in control, even though the world is falling apart. Paul Paul brags on the Colossians. He's praising them for their love. But that love did not come from warm, fuzzy feelings. He's praising them for their faith. But that faith did not come from thinking good thoughts. And he praises them for their hope that comes from faith and love. The faith and love that springs from the hope that is stored up for you in heaven and that you have already heard about in the word of truth, the gospel that has come to you. Christian hope is what keeps our love going. To continue to serve God that loves us. A God who sent his son to die for us. Christian hope is what makes our faith strong since we believe in a God who's coming to make our faith one day sight. So when you face difficulties, think about what you're hoping for. Am I being a practical atheist right now, or am I in Christ? Let's not put our hope on getting rich, on staying healthy, finding or being the perfect wife, or finding fame because if we do we will be disappointed our hope needs to be based on the assurance of Christ that he's 100% true that is something that we can die for that is something that we can live for 
All right. Are you hopeful? Amen. <laughs> Good. All right. So, uh, I don't know. When you guys were having worship time, did you sense like the Holy Spirit was talking to you? Their presence was on you. Anybody just put your hand up if that was the case? Okay. I did too. And during my worship time this morning, um, devotional time, he just said, you know what, don't be afraid, Claire, to be a little quiet this morning for ministry time. And just to let me do what I want to do. So I'm going to honor his request. And we're just going to be a little quiet here. And we're going to allow the Holy Spirit to come and like, do what he wants to do. Okay? So if you all would just, maybe just close your eyes and put your focus in Christ. I say a little prayer here. Father, we ask you to come and to touch your people, Lord. Touch us. Speak to us, Lord. Now, does any of you have something that you feel is appropriate to share to the congregation. You just put your hand up so I can see who you are. Good, so I'm going to give you a, a moment to do that. Okay, there's two of you that I, I can identify. Can you please come forward? Uh, Dave Alter, can you um, get... Mike, oh, Randy's got it. Thank you. Okay. Go ahead, Camille. Just introduce yourself so everybody knows who you are. I'm Camille. And I was sitting there saying, well, if Clara invited us to come up, okay, Holy Spirit. I have the greatest privilege to serve at Daily Bread Ministries. And I work with some incredible people. Not that I don't hear. But I was remembering this week. You know, I'm not married and I don't have children. So I can be into self. And I have been into self. I've practiced that in the past a lot. I have a lot of arguments with the Holy Spirit. One thing that the Holy Spirit was telling me just yesterday... Um, I was mad at somebody because they were honest with me in a brutal way. And I was like, I didn't like that. And it was somebody from there. And it was true. And God, the Holy Spirit was saying, I am going to be honest. I am going to discipline you. And I'm like, man, I don't like that part of this. <laughs> I don't like it at all. And I didn't like him either. And the Holy Spirit was saying, don't shoot the messenger, Camille. Don't shoot the messenger. And I just had to share that. You know, how many of you are, you don't have to raise your hand if you don't want to, are really irritated when you're driving down the road and you hear a rap. Bum, ba, bum, ba, bum, ba, bum, ba, bum, ba, bum, ba, bum. Yesterday at the dock, there was this guy who had, was from Mexican descent, and he had this rap on, and I was like jamming, I love to jam, you know, <laughs> be crazy. And he started interpreting the words. Jesus Christ died for Mother Teresa. He died for Michael Jackson. He died for the homosexual. He died, and it went on and on and on. And he said to me, 
you know, I had that playing at a stop sign, a stoplight, and he said, and it was booming, and the, the rap goes into an invitation to accept Jesus Christ. And he said he kind of glanced out of the corner of his eye, and he saw this woman next to him in the car weeping. And he told me about his past, and he said, I had two marriages where I, it was all about me. You know, and then he got it on the third one. And, you know, and I work with people who, there was one, there's one lady who's three, at three years old. She was in the cotton fields. And now she's got veins popping out all over her legs, and she runs all over that warehouse. And people who are just there to serve the poor. And the reason, my motivation to go there was I walked out of a job certain I was going to get another one, and I didn't. And I drew partial Social Security because that's what I could get. And I was stressed out because my bills were not connecting the dots. I was trying to make it match. And I finally said, Lord, this is stressing me out. I'm going to go down and help feed the poor and you pay my bills. You know what? It works. It really works, y'all. So if y'all want to be blessed and humbled, go down to Daily Bread Ministries and help those people give to the poor. It's Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday. And they take youth groups. Cornerstone Church takes youth groups. There's another church that's around the corner on Broadway who takes the youth down there. And they get up. They get up on Saturday morning, and they're there at 7 o'clock in the morning on Saturday to help feed the poor. That's what the Holy Spirit wanted me to share today. God bless you all. Okay. Hold on. Camille, wait a second. This morning the Lord told me to tell you that when I was describing the kind of church that I am proud of, you were on his heart and you were on my mind. You have opened your home to the needy. You have gone to people's homes and watched their kids for free. You have lent out your car to others in need. We're proud of you, Camille. Um, as I was sitting there, and a lot of y'all know, probably everyone knows my story right now. Um, uh, my six-month-old daughter is, we're trying to get her on the list for a transplant. And I was given this verse. Some children were brought to Jesus so he could lay his hands on them and pray for them. The disciples told them not to bother him, but Jesus said, let the children come me do not stop them for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these yes I have hope that the Lord will provide healing for my daughter but I also have my hope lies more in these words that the kingdom of heaven belongs to children such as these do I know how everything is going to turn out in the next six months I have no idea but my faith still lies with the Lord. And my hope still lies with the Lord. And I will also like to thank all the ones who have come here to help me. This church has been an amazing support to me and my wife. And I can point some of them out right now. Um, but I feel like I'd be pointing people out. So I'll 
Thank you. Um, wait, wait. Hold on. That besides the Bible, hold on. Does anybody have a word of encouragement to give to, to Adrian? Okay, Kitty, would you like to do that from there? Okay. Thank you. Anyone else? Peg. I still get, I still get the one where it's like the footstep picture. Where he's taking, uh, we've seen specifically like you, Anna, and Diana. Okay, Adrian. Brandy wants to pray for you. Father, we do uh, thank you for uh, this family and this opportunity uh, to see your kingdom come to earth. Um, Lord, we do have a prayer that we would like to be answered a certain way. But we trust you anyway. And I think perhaps, Lord, kind of like Camille with the going to serve the poor. Okay, God, you're just going to have to deal with the real need. I can't. I'll have to do something else. Lord, give uh, Adrian and Anna the, the something else, the, the focus on this, the, the spiritual elements around them at the hospital, the people coming and visiting, the nurses and doctors that they have an opportunity to reflect Christ to. Lord, that seems sort of amiss for people who are hurting and struggling but I think it's I think it's a lot like the sermon that Clara has just shared with us Lord we can't fix Diana we can't heal her but we can live out faith hope and love and so we say Lord we have faith in you and your ability to work good through this in us each one of us that are partnering in this and those around them but let your kingdom be manifest your rulership and your reign in and through this family wherever they sit wherever Diana lies the people who come in contact let the light of Christ permeate them let them be impacted by the presence of the kingdom of God and his rulership Lord, and give them hope. A fullness of hope in where it is to lie. And peace. Jesus said that in this world we'll have trouble. But he has overcome the world. And he is able to bring a peace that this world cannot give. And so we look for that manifestation in this family in Jesus' name. Amen.
know if I'll get through this. <laughs> um, Jamie's dad um, is a World War II hero, and he's told us a lot of stories, but God just reminded me of this one. He was um, in battle, and he was, uh, he was a major, and he was responsible for this group of men. It was in World War II, and they were going through, I think it was, do you remember, Jamie? Some part of England. I can't remember. But anyway, they hadn't eaten in like six days. They were starving. And he said there was no reason for him to stop, but he just felt like something, and now we know it was the Holy Spirit, but something was pulling on him, and he led him back to a farmhouse. And in that farmhouse, they found a well. And at the bottom of the well, the people had hidden food. And, there was, and of course, they were also, they were, it had been boarded up, but it also had water. And his men got the food and the water that they needed. But God said to tell you, you found the well. I don't know how it does the well come out, Adrian, but... You, you have that well. You know where to go. And he's going to feed you and give you what you need to get through. Thank you. Okay. That was a good word. We have found the well. All right. Um, you guys need prayer about something? Then raise your hand. Let's get some people to pray for you. Anybody need some prayer? Going once, going <laughs> twice. Y'all need tissues. I can tell that. I'm here, I can see that. Okay. All right. We love you. Have an awesome week being in Christ and living the life of hope. We'll see you next week. <laughs>